0: Are you worried about the future? If so, I can pretty much guarantee you that no matter how concerned your outlook is, it's still brightly sunny compared to longtime contrarian macro analyst Mark Faber, editor and publisher of the Gloom Doom Boom Report. Using a global perspective and millennia of historical precedent, Mark sees challenging times ahead. And safety warning if you're frightened easily, you'll want to fully strap in before watching further.
1: Maybe for a while, like during the Bolshevik Revolution, and maybe during the French Revolution. Maybe for a while, it looks better because of money printing and fiscal deficits. But in the long run, it will lead to
0: disaster. Welcome to Wealthy On. I'm on founder Adam Taggart, welcoming you back for another week of Making Sense of Money and the Markets. Today, we're zooming out to look at the macro situation from a global perspective. Joining us from Hong Kong is Mark Faber, PhD in economics, author, and longtime editor and publisher of the Gloom, Boom, Doom Report. Mark's well known for his global investment view, his skepticism of central planners and his bold and often contrarian predictions. Mark, I just want to thank you so much for staying up so late in your evening to join us for this program. My program pleasure. Today. No problem.
1: Actually, what? I live in Thailand in the north, in Chiang Mai.
0: In Chiang Mai. OK,
1: well, I know it's still late there. So thank I you. I still for have an up. office in Hong Kong, but I when I'm not traveling, I stay in Chiang Mai. And now with all the restrictions, we can't travel anywhere. Uh,
0: I like to start every one of these interviews um, not introducing any biases on my end. So if we could just start with this question, what is your current assessment of today's global economy in financial markets?
1: Well, I, I think I could give a speech for three hours about the state of the global economy. Because, as you know, we have different countries and different countries are moving in different directions. And uh, we have uh, different financial markets and some markets are going up and some markets are going down. So it's a complex issue. But in general, if we look at the capitalistic system that we had for the last 200 years, and the socialistic system and communism that we had, especially after nineteen uh, uh, after nineteen hundred eighteen uh, in Russia, the Russian Revolution, and then later on communism in the Soviet Union, and then after the fall of the nationalists in China, we had uh, the communists in China in nineteen forty nine the nationalists had to flee to Taiwan and so forth. So if I look at this world and uh, I look at the opening of countries like China and Russia and so forth, obviously we had huge changes over the last 40 years. But one thing that I have to point out to all your uh, viewers is that when I first traveled to socialist countries in the 60s, in Eastern Europe and later in 1980 to Russia and at about the same time to China and a bit later to Vietnam, what was striking is how much poverty socialist countries were able to generate while Western countries, including the U.S. and Western European countries, through the system of free markets and capitalism had all prospered relative to the rest of the world. And if we look at the world today, we never in history, thanks to capitalism, had such a low poverty rate around the world, relative to the world's population. Uh, Most people today are much better off than they were 30, 40 years ago. I'm not saying everybody in the U.S. and in Europe. We have statistics that show that people who now reach 35 years of age, they are poorer and earn less in real terms, inflation-adjusted, than the parents. So I think uh, we have to consider that if we have this move to the left, that To my surprise, young people want, they want the government to do more. They want the government to regulate more and to intervene more. With all this move to the left, we will have very disappointing economic growth rates. And the standards of living of most people who follow these left-wing policies uh, that lead to disaster, economic and social disaster, that these policies are, of course, ill-conceived and should be rethought very carefully by the voters. The government doesn't do anything that the voters want. The government is an own institution. The bureaucrats take measures that voters mostly wouldn't want to have implemented. So let's leave the government out. The government no longer represents people. The government is evil. And as long as we have this trend, I think uh, the economies will, maybe for a while, like during the Bolshevik Revolution and maybe during the French Revolution, maybe for a while, It looks better because of money printing and fiscal deficits, but in the long run it will lead to disaster. So that is my view of the global economy. And we have already a slowdown now in the global economy.
0: Well, we do. Wow. Okay. So that was a great exposition to start this with. And uh, if I could just sum up, you're saying, look, history has shown us that the more totalitarian, the more socialist the state becomes, uh, generally the worse the population seems to fare. And if I can put words in your mouth, it sounds like you're saying you're becoming concerned that you're seeing more of those type of policies taking over. And that makes you concerned about future growth prospects for the global economy. Did I summarize that relatively?
1: The freedom of people and about their standards of living. I'm not talking about myself, you understand? I live comfortably on a property in Thailand. So I have no uh, particular agenda or objective that I want to follow. I was asked about the global economy and I gave you my assessment having lived through countries that were in the stage of socialism and communism. And I saw the disasters that these interventionist governments brought about, the planning economy, where a group of arrogant bureaucrats, as we have today in the US and some European countries, they think that they know and that they should take economic policy measures.
0: Well, it's exactly that global perspective, uh, which is why I wanted to have you on here. So I so appreciate you sharing it. And and you you said something that I want to kind of try to use an analog here and you tell me if it's appropriate or not. But when Hugo Chavez took over in Venezuela, um, you know, he did a lot of rating of uh, the wealth of the country. And for a while, everybody felt great, right? Um, But then, the unsustainability of those policies kind of caught up with things. And of course, we all know where Venezuela is today. Do you see an analog there with all the money printing and stimulus that's that's being pursued so aggressively in the major economies right now?
1: Well, in particular with the period that uh, uh, covered the French Revolution 1789 to about uh, 17... uh, 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 It was a period where first they printed money through the so-called Asinia system, and it led to some near-term prosperity. But then inflation caught up and prices went up, it's like now in the US. I would say that uh, the majority of people, say more than 50%, they had now price increases of food, energy, healthcare, educational costs, rents, and the affordability that went down. In other words, they had cost increases of uh, the cost of living, that vastly exceeds their wage gains, vastly. So in real terms, inflation adjusted, their standards of living will go down. The standards of living of people like Jeff Bezos, and I'm not criticizing him, I'm just stating the standards of these people of living Is vastly increasing because their companies are doing very well in an environment where you're closing down small shops.
0: Absolutely. So, um, uh, as we, um, you know, Bloomberg just published an article today showing that the uh, cost of a house in the US is up 23%. Year over year, you mentioned a, a bunch of other essentials for living: food, healthcare, rents. They're all up double digits in the past year, but uh, you know, real wages in, in no way, shape, or form are, 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 are uh, matching pace to this, right? So, um, a question I ask a lot here is sort of how much longer can the average citizen stand this, and when do the torches and pitchforks come out? But do do you see going forward from here in the major economies like the U.S., like Europe? Are, are just sort of ever higher prices and ever rising inflation. Is that just gonna be the new normal going forward or do you see them hitting some sort of deflationary limit at some point here where, where we see a big contraction?
1: Well, this is a very good question and we don't really know the answer uh, based on the completely incompetence of the Uh, bureaucrats that sit at central banks who have zero historical knowledge, zero business experience, but sit in glass buildings, building all kinds of models they themselves don't really understand, and do then take the monetary measures that essentially have since the 1980s led to larger and larger stimuli packages and larger and larger monetary ease, that these people will continue to print money. And if the inflation picks up more, and at the same time, as I suggested, the economy weakens, in other words, you have a situation of inflation, And economic weakness, they will say these academics that are overpaid and do nothing and know nothing, that these academics will tell the people, well, we didn't print enough. I guarantee you this is going to be the case. And I followed bureaucrats for a long time because I'm interested in history. The three latest Fed chairmen. Bernanke, Yellen, and Powell are about the lowest grade bureaucrats I've seen in history.
0: Wow, that's quite, a, that's quite a claim. And
1: they policies,
0: so or they're, that-
1: just, they're just lackeys, you understand? They may be slaves of someone behind them who tells them, you do this. That is what I suspect.
0: Okay. So it sounds like uh, you, know, you see, and, and it's no real surprise, right? When, whenever um, you know, anybody in government is faced with a decision today, they are largely always going to choose to inflate because it, it gives a chance at least of kicking the can down the road a bit, where if you tighten, you immediately get negative response from the people who are losing their jobs, from the companies that are shutting down, et cetera. Um, so I get it. I get it. A bureaucrat's going to bureaucrat. Most likely, they're going to take the easy way out and in, in, in print. Um, all right. So um, there could be an exception to this rule. And that would be
1: But it, it's difficult to envision a situation where the U.S. dollar would collapse against other currencies. You understand? Know, if it collapsed against, say, European currencies or the Japanese yen and so forth, then maybe there would be pressure on the US to actually tighten by the international holders of government bonds in the US. That could be essentially the case. But the other central banks do the same. They also print money. And so what we will have is a depreciation of paper money overall in the world, not just in the US, but overall, People who hold cash, when I grew up in my grandfather's household, what was safe is to hold cash with the bank. Nowadays, to hold cash is not safe because your deposit rates, say six months deposit rates in the U.S., are less than half a percent. And the inflation, as as the government publishes, is more than four percent. So you have negative real interest rates of more than three and a half percent. But this is what the government is publishing. The reality is that the inflation at the present time, and I'm not saying it will continue forever at this rate, it may accelerate, it may come down. But at the present time, inflation in the US, depending on your situation in life, is being, say, between four and a half percent to 10 percent, in my view.
0: Well, I think anybody at least living in the US over the past year, you know, I mentioned some of those double digit increases and in the, just the, the essentials of living, um, they would agree with you. Um, it definitely feels much more closer to 10% than, than 4%. Uh, and I think you were being generous by saying that banks will give you a 0.5% return. In most cases, I think it's substantially less than that right now. So,
1: yes, I agree. In, in Switzerland, we have negative interest rates, in Germany as well.
0: Yeah, you've got negative nominal interest rates, which is just yeah, yeah, sure. mind-blowing, right? Yeah. Exactly. All right. So so the rational Central response-
1: bankers are criminals. They steal the expropriate honest people's savings by implementing zero and less than zero interest rates.
0: Well, so I, I want to get to the, the actionable part of the story, but you, you just put your finger on something that I talk about a lot here, and I'd love to get your opinion on it, which is right now, in terms of the official narrative, you know, the central banks are the hero in this, the heroes in the story, right? They are, they are the ones providing the essential liquidity that kept the economy from, from staying in recession when the pandemic hit. Um, they are keeping rates low. Uh, to be able to help people afford their mortgages. I'm not saying I agree, I'm just saying this is the the story. I understand,
1: I understand. So
0: so what is it gonna take for the masses to start seeing the central banks as the villain in this story?
1: Well, I think a lot of people see them all already in an unfavorable light, but you have to understand in academia, let's say you're a professor at the university. The question is, you want to keep your job or you want to get sacked? You want to keep your job, shut up and just accept. You're an employee of the Federal Reserve. Better shut up, don't expose anything that could be wrong. You're working for Chase Manhattan Bank or J.P. Morgan or whatever it is, shut up. The best nowadays in the current job situation that we have and in the current uh, politically correct atmosphere, just shut up. Because if you expose the villains and you tell the truth, they're going to shut you up. That, I mean a lot of academics have been sacked because they made some remarks that were inconvenient to their colleagues. And Got in it. academia, you know in business we have business rivalries and so forth and people uh, compete with each other. But in academia there is much more jealousy among the people sitting at the university. They all hate each other. They hate each other. Today's economists, how many economists have you heard recently quote David Ricardo, Adam Smith, Schumpeter, or even a more recent economist like Milton Friedman, who argued for freedom and capitalism and small governments and free to choose? They never quote him. They hate him because he argued for small governments and for the government to stay out of the way of the economy. It's a disaster. The the, the level of economics in terms of sophistication, unlike say mathematics and physics that have made huge strides forward over the last 30 years, in economics we've gone back to practically the stone ages.
0: Okay. So we've got a regressive academic environment uh, that is ruled by the tyranny of the majority here. And I've got to think we also have on the, the business side, the corporate side, and the political side, we have the powerful players who are making tons of money from their unfair advantage right now, feeding from the trough, and they don't want the system to change, correct?
1: No, they don't want. This is a perfect system for academia. They can be incompetent at the Fed, then they leave the Fed, then they advise a hedge fund, and that's it, and they earn much more. Or they write a book by a ghostwriter.
0: Yeah, it's that, uh, it's that you know revolving door.: uh, you know, I can tell you, Ben you're going to Citadel.
1: <laughs> I, I know several for, former Fed uh, employees, uh, Fed, voting members. Uh, Larry Lindsay, he was sacked by Greenspan in the late 1990s because he opposed to the easy monetary policies.
0: All right, well look, so let's get to the practical side then. So we've got this, um, this power structure that you think is going to continue to just debase currencies going forward. Um, and I get the logic, it's hard to argue with. So the rational investor should then wanna put their capital uh, into assets that cannot be, in, their intrinsic value cannot be inflated away. Um, obviously, you, the mind immediately goes to precious metals. Love to hear your thoughts on them, and then are there any other asset classes that you think provide a safer haven uh, for capital than the traditional cash? Obviously, but even even maybe equities and whatnot at these high prices.
1: Well, I wish it was. As simple as you pointed out, Adam, but the complication arises that with the current policies, the government will sooner or later uh, run kind of out of money, do you understand? And then you have to take the money from somewhere and uh, get the, the financial conditions again in good orders, certainly compared to other countries, And so the taxation will go up, you understand? That is usually step one, printing money. Step two, the people that enjoyed the money printing, you start taking away something. So you have sort of a wealth tax, or you impose duties uh, the way the political system has been in the US. Uh, All tax increases have fallen on the middle class, and the lower middle class, and the poor people. It never falls on the hundred richest families. Uh, The tax cuts always benefit the hundred richest families, and the tax increases hurt the poor people. So, but in future that may change, you understand. We have huge political changes, not just in the U.S., but elsewhere. And we have these lefties and so forth. So I, I wouldn't rule out that it will become quite bad. Say, I have assets. Okay, I have assets in real estate. I have assets in precious metals and in some stocks. Because in Europe, if I can get companies with a dividend of 3 4%, and the cash has a negative yield, then the companies with a three, 4% yield over 10 years will go up by 30% uh, if everything stays more or less the same whereas cash will lose value. Anyway, and I have also uh, precious metals that I said, real estate stocks and some bonds, I have high yield bonds in uh, emerging economies. But my concern is that one day the government will come and say, well, Mr. Faber, uh, first of all, maybe you have too many assets. We need to take something away from you. So we'll take 50%. And number two, Mr. Faber, I think it would be good to send you to a re-education camp, you know, so that you can be in peace and rethink the world according to our socialist um, ideologies. And so the government, well, the government, you may look at me with big eyes about sending people to camps. Well, they already closed your business. They closed millions of people in the world, lost their small shop, lost their hairdresser salon, The tattoo salon, everything, these were small entrepreneurs that don't have a lot of capital behind them and so they lost their jobs, they lost their businesses, small restaurants, coffee shops, everything. Never before in history has a government taken these type of draconian measures and this in a system that claims, oh, we have democracy and therefore we have freedom. B.S., the democracy was hijacked and has restricted people's freedoms.
0: What I love about you, Mark, is you are crystal clear on your thoughts. There's uh, (laughs) There's no questioning what you think about the situation. So here it's clear that you predict tighter government control going forward as the system begins to um, break under its unsustainability, you foresee that the, the leadership is going to basically become more uh, extortionary in terms of um, the demands placed right. places on the populace to make up for the difference. And uh, right. eventually it could get as bad as you're saying as confiscatory taxes, uh, business shutdowns, et cetera, whatever. So just trying to keep our viewers from sticking our heads fully in the oven um, what, what type of steps do you <laughs> yeah. recommend for the concerned investor listening to this, right? Who doesn't want to become uh, collateral damage to the you know pro- ongoing process of currency devaluation um, and perhaps has some concerns about risk confiscation, um, whether through taxes or, or more brutal forces. Um, do, do you have any advice for those people?
1: Well, I think that in life, If I look at people who were under extreme stress for extended periods of time, uh, to be realistic was uh, the better uh, attitude towards the difficulties than to just say, oh, I hope it will get better. Do you understand? I think we need to realistically appraise the situation And instead of saying it will get better, uh, also consider that it may get much worse as Mr. Faber thinks. And under the condition of much worse, you have to say to yourself, okay, uh, all of us will uh, endure a more challenging uh, environment for our standard of living. So what precautions do I take? Do I do nothing? Or do I say, okay, it will get much worse. In this case, I better have another beer or another smoke or another (laughs) joint, you understand? These are things, uh, if you have money, instead of being stingy and saving everything, maybe you should start to enjoy a little bit your life because it may get much worse. And forget about traveling anytime soon. You may be able to travel, but under very difficult conditions and so forth, and under a lot of headache uh, that uh, may make your trip unpleasant. So I would say financially, uh, I'm of course in favor of owning precious metals. That There's no question about it that precious metals are an avenue to maintain your purchasing power. But it is not guaranteed that they will not be taken away from you. That is a risk. Also, your shareholdings could be taken away from you in different ways, as well as your cryptocurrencies and so forth. In the French Revolution, about which I'm writing at the present time, they didn't take your gold and silver away but they declared that anyone who accepts gold and silver as payment will be put to the guillotine, will be sent to the
0: guillotine. You you couldn't use it on the free market under risk of death.
1: So the first advice I have for your viewers is once to get from uh, Google's a picture of a guillotine because it's not particularly pleasant to be taken to the guillotine. But in France, in the French Revolution, they actually took most of the original revolutionaries. The revolutionaries in France were not simple people, they were not uneducated people, they were aristocrats, highly intelligent people. They took them to the guillotine themselves.
0: All right, Mark. Remember, I told you to help me get the people's heads out of the oven, not 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 further in, but <laughs> I, I, get your, I, I get your point there. And um, I, I'm going to put some words in your mouth. Tell me if they're wrong. But it sounds like what you're saying is, um, in addition to some of the financial steps, and I, I want you to share any more that you have, like own some precious metals. But you're really saying, you know, invest in resilience, which is a, a theme that I and, and others have, have talked a lot about as being an important component of wealth, because the money... In, there's there's no guarantee the money is going to come even under the best of scenarios, right? But you're saying, look, times might get tougher. Investing in your emotional resilience beforehand so that you can react to the adversity rather than get crushed by it would be good. I see you nodding here. And then there's another important form of resilience as well, um, which is social resilience, right? Which is um, really investing in the relationships around you so that if times indeed get tougher, you're not a lone wolf trying to, you know, fend the pack off by yourself. Uh, right. You've actually got people that you have trusted relationships with where you're supporting each other during the tough times as opposed to turning on each other. Would you agree with that? Is it a fair assessment? Yes. The problem in periods of extreme hardship, people
1: turn against each other. That's why there were always informers and denouncers and so forth throughout, you know. Periods of hardship, but in general, your assessment is correct. And number two, I would say uh, the best is to diversify, because you understand what usually happens in financial stress is the imposition of foreign exchange controls. You are no longer allowed to invest outside the U.S. Or you can't get your money out Japan and so forth. And I think it's very careless of anyone who has assets to only hold assets in one country. I think for me, it's incomprehensible because the people that were the richest people in Russia and Eastern Europe, when the Communists came, they lost everything, everything. And the last Tsar, who was actually a relatively innocent bystander. He was not an evil man. And his children, they were all slaughtered by the communists.
0: All right, so important point there, which is um, consider diversifying-
1: internationally.
0: Yeah, so, and I would imagine you would say diversification by asset class, and then diversification by geography on top of that.
1: Correct, but the diversity by geography has to take into account that if you hold assets, say you're an American, you hold assets in Asia, the custody shouldn't be in the US because the US government can then force to sell it, you understand, to liquidate it. But even if you hold it in another jurisdiction, if they put the knife on your head and say, look, or they put on the knife on your girlfriend or daughter's head and they say to you, you either bring the assets back or we slaughter you. This happened to the most famous philosopher of the 20th century, uh, Wittgenstein. The family had a huge fortune in gold parked in Swiss in a Swiss bank. And because Wittgenstein, although he was. um, He was Catholic, okay, he was buried as a Catholic, but by blood, he was three quarters Jewish. And the Hitler regime, they came to the family and said either We send you to a nice uh, country club camp where labor is required or you give back the gold that you have overseas. The Wittgenstein family was uh, pre-German Reich in the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, the wealthiest family built on steel. Now friends them, with Carnegie the and so forth. Yeah. All right, so, so- oh, I'm just telling you the governments are evil, and when I look at your politicians in the US, I only see evil and greedy people. They don't care about the people. They couldn't care less. They care about themselves, how much money they can extract out of the system. The budget in America, the government expenditures of $4 trillion a year. Every government, the most honest steals 5%, the most dishonest, 100%. The US is somewhere in between. So even if they steal 10% in the US on 4 trillion, it's $400 billion that they steal.
0: Well, you know, one of the things I appreciate about you, Mark, is your um, command of the scope of history here. And I know that your comments on what you see today are rooted in patterns that you have seen over and over again with different governments, different regimes, et cetera. And it is it is very sobering. So, um, again, just to, to as we begin to wrap things up here, to make things as actionable as possible for people. Um, you know, it sounds like you're saying, look, um, you see tougher times ahead, you see the government taking a a greater share of our wealth through both currency debasement and maybe eventually actually, you know, expropriating it. Um, uh, I remember following your work, you know, right before and right after the, the global financial crisis. And I think you were still pretty pessimistic back then about our prospects. But you had said, you know, if you got to keep your money in the system somewhere, you got to do something with your money. And I recall that you kind of said, look, if you put a quarter of it in global equities, a quarter in, in uh, global bonds, um, a quarter in precious metals, I can't remember if the other quarter was real estate or, real or estate, whatever it yeah. was, real estate. Uh, and that, that actually performed pretty darn well over the past 10 years. Um, do you have any sort of general framework like that, you know, in the near term for, for folks to consider? Or is this the the time to put it all into precious metals? And and ideally, precious metals, nobody knows where they are.
1: (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't put everything in precious metals because uh, if we look at the performance of assets over very long periods of time, stocks have tended to outperform precious metals.
0: We hope you've been enjoying this discussion with global macro analyst Mark Faber. The interview continues in part two, where Mark provides his preferred investments and recommended portfolio allocation for the future he sees coming. To watch part two, just click on the link provided in the description of this video below or go to youtube.com slash But before you go please don't forget to hit the like button and then click the subscribe button below if you haven't already, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. It only takes a second and it really helps us out as the more subscribers this channel has, the more big name experts we can attract on this program in the future. Oh, and if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio with the risks that Mark warns of in mind, just go to Wealthion.com and we'll set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you over at part two of our video interview with the one-of-a-kind Mark Faber.